You know, it's often been said that pain is a great teacher. Pain and suffering is not something that we pursue. It's not something that, that we desire. But God utilizes pain to point us to himself. That he is the one who took the pain and suffering that we deserved and then he heals us with his gospel. Our temporary pain reminds us of a future day in which there is no more suffering. But in the meantime, God is the one who ordains our pain and he ordains our suffering for something bigger than we can see. That's what we see happening in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul and Adoniram Judson. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going through a sermon series as a faith family called World Changers. We are looking backwards at faithful men and women who have been faithful to Christ throughout church history and how they have had great impact for King Jesus. Last week, we looked at the life and ministry of Lottie Moon and the impact that she had on millions of people throughout China and around the world. If by chance you weren't able to catch last week's message, you can look at it on our Westwood app and you can listen to it on your way to work this week. This morning, we're going to be looking at the life and ministry of one of my heroes of the faith, Adoniram Judson. Christy and I have been so challenged by this man's life and ministry that we named one of our sons after him. In fact, the name Adoniram Judson, Adoniram means my glorious God. He was born August 9th, 1788 in Malden, Massachusetts. His father was a preacher. His mother taught him to read large portions of scripture starting at the age of three. He was clever. He was a studious young man that taught himself foreign languages and he would grow up to become the first American missionary in US history. Judson suffered terribly throughout his adult life. But by God's grace, his suffering led to much fruit. And that's what we see with the Apostle Paul, a man who suffered greatly for the sake of Christ, but God was faithful. And through Paul's suffering, God has brought forth much fruit. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth that has allowed false prophets, false apostles, false teachers to creep into the church. These false apostles have assaulted Paul's character. They've questioned his apostolic authority. They're trying to, the, to convince the church to follow them instead of him. And when Paul discovered how bad the situation in the church was, he temporarily left his work in Ephesus and he made a visit to Corinth. Sadly, this visit didn't go well. He returned to Ephesus heartbroken. He then wrote a letter. It's called the Severe Letter. And he sent it with Titus back to Corinth. Well, while he's in Ephesus, a riot breaks out, forcing Paul to leave. And so he went on a search for Titus, hoping to hear good news about Corinth. Well, once he found Titus in Macedonia, he learned that the majority of the Corinthians had repented. They turned away from their sin. They recognized these false apostles for who they were. And they were saying, Paul is the one who 
planted us, who started us, and he is the one whose gospel we are going to believe. And so Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to express relief and joy and, and their repentance. Now they have turned to Christ and following his true gospel, but he's also writing to confront these false apostles head on. And in chapter 11, Paul writes his resume of suffering. I want you to notice first in the text that he begins with his personal pedigree. His personal pedigree. Look with me at verse 21. Paul says, but in whatever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. See, Paul's sarcasm game is on point here. He's defending himself against these false teachers, and it's as if he's saying, I'm your huckleberry. Let's go. You want to attack my character? You want to call me out for who I am and what I do for the gospel? Let's compare pedigree. But he's also reluctant to do so. He said, I can't believe I have to do this. Verse 21, I'm talking foolishly. You see, Paul's a humble man. He doesn't want to have to boast about himself because he knows that there's nothing within himself he has to boast in, let alone Christ. In Galatians 6.14, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's not interested in boasting in himself, but in order to confront these false teachers, he begins with his pedigree. But then notice number two, he then outlines his external suffering. His external suffering. Look at verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? Notice his reluctance to do this. I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea on frequent journeys. I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Now remember, Paul is suffering because it is God's will. Jesus said this was going to happen. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus appeared to Ananias and said, Ananias, I need you to go to Saul and lay hands on him. And Ananias, he balks, he hesitates. He's like, Lord, don't you know that he is out killing people who follow Jesus? And the Lord says this. This is so good. Jesus says, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Watch this. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And in verses 23 and following of 2 Corinthians, Paul is contrasting himself against these false teachers and he does so by describing how he has physically suffered for the sake of the gospel. 
That word for labors, verse 23, it means to work to the point of sweat and exhaustion. Paul was giving his all to advance the mission. He had faced many imprisonments, many beatings. In verse 23, many times near death. You know, something that hit me this week as I was studying verse 23, it's this. Every believer must view each day as if it is our last For on our last day, we will be launched into eternity to be with Christ forever. You see, Paul was giving it all for the sake of the cross. Wes would hold this life loosely. Don't cling tightly to this life. This is not not our final stop. We are just passing through. We are marching to Zion. Jesus says in John 12, the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In Acts 20, 24, Paul said, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. For Paul, he was willing, verse 23, to experience beatings and imprisonment and near-death experiences because of what Jesus had done for him. The gospel is our motivation for enduring suffering in this brief life. You see, the safest place in the world is doing God's will. That's the safest place you can be. You see, you are invincible until God says it's time for you to come home. When the Lord blows the whistle and calls you out of the pool, that's when your immortality will come to a close in this brief life. You will not die one second longer than God sees fit. You see, for Paul, his external sufferings, they're light. It's momentary. It's not worth being compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Notice how Paul lists out his suffering stats here in verse 24. Five times he received 39 lashes with a whip, three times beaten with rods, one time stoned in Acts 14 in Lystra, three times he was shipwrecked, one time he spent an entire night and day clinging to debris in the open sea. And then on his missionary journey to plant churches, he faced dangers from verse 26. Rivers, robbers, Jews, Gentiles, the city, the wilderness, the sea, and false brothers. He often went without, verse 27, sleep, food, and clothing. What would make someone be willing to endure all of this? Why would someone allow their life to suffer to such a degree? The gospel. Jesus suffered and died for us, so now we are free to go and live for him, which means that may include suffering. And if we are going to take risks for the sake of the gospel, we are free to do so because of what Christ has done for us. Hear me, y'all. Safety is a mirage. To think in this brief life that you're going to be safe, that you can protect your children and your grandchildren from all potential hazards, can't. It's not real. 
We're in a war zone of Genesis 3 on a creation that is groaning and longing for its redemption. Your ultimate safety will take place when Jesus calls you home. Until then, let's take risks. Even eternal, external suffering for the sake of him who died upon the cross for us. Thirdly, I want you to notice that then Paul highlights his internal suffering. Verse 28, he says, not to mention other things. There's the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. See, Paul had a burden on his shoulders, and that was the condition of the churches that he had planted. This is not a small load to bear. When you're the leader, when you're the shepherd, you take on responsibility and the weightiness of the task of the people who are under your care. And though they may not be with you physically, you're thinking about them. You're praying for them. You're concerned about them and how they're doing in the faith. For Paul, he was planting churches all throughout modern day Asia and Europe and his concern for all the churches was always on the forefront of his mind. You see, that's the hard part of being a shepherd. That's the hard part of being a leader. There's a weightiness to the task. It's a constant burden that you carry and it never lifts. It's always on your shoulders. It's a burden. It's a joy. It's a joy, but it's a burden nonetheless. And if you notice Paul's resume, he's not boasting in his accomplishments. He's not bragging in his strengths, but rather, he's boasting in his weaknesses. Look at verse 30. He says, if boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. Look at chapter 12, verse nine. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Watch this. So I take pleasure in weaknesses. I take pleasure in insults. I take pleasure in hardships. I take pleasure in persecutions. I take pleasure in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hear me. If you desire for God to use your life, you've got to be weak. There are far too many people that are too strong for God to use. Because when we rest in our own strength, we get the glory. And so Paul says, I'm gonna boast not in my strengths, not in my abilities, not in my apostolic authority. I'm gonna boast in my weaknesses. And you see, for your life, the moment God will begin to work in you and through you is when you say, God, I can't do this. It's impossible. I, God, I can't. And he's like, that's exactly where I want you. And then you cry out, God, you can through me. And that's when he gets the glory. So if you're resting in your strength, if you're walking around peacocking saying, I got it, that's practical atheism. You're saying, God, I don't need you. 
You see, a weak prayer life reveals a lack of dependence upon the one who decided to wake you up this morning. The one who gives you life and breath, the ability to think and to see and to hear. The one who gladly came and bled and died on your behalf at the cross. You see, you and I are weak, and it's when we are weak, that is when Jesus is strong. You see, God uses our weaknesses to put his power on display, which means this, suffering is not a punishment to be avoided, but a providential gift to be embraced. God used Paul's perseverance through suffering, to the spread of the gospel and to plant churches. Keyword through. The Lord ordained for him not to go around suffering, but to go through it. And so it was for Adoniram Judson. When we look at Adoniram Judson, we see God's providential fingerprints all over his life. Let me give you four takeaways from this man. The first is this, is that God pursues prodigals. God pursues prodigals. When he was 16, Judson started classes as a sophomore at Brown University. Now remember, he was a prodigy. He would go on to graduate at the top of his class in 1807. When he went to college, he met a deist named Jacob Eames. Judson's parents didn't know it at the time, but he was walking away from the faith. On his 20th birthday, he broke his parents' hearts by announcing that he no longer believed the gospel. Eames had persuaded him away from his family's faith. His plan was to go and travel, to seek the world and to find all of the worldly pleasures that he could ever find. He demanded his inheritance from his father. He took his horse and he left. But living a life of pleasure did not turn out to be as exciting as he thought it would. It never is. He bounced around from place to place, living wherever he could. One night he went to stay at an inn. The innkeeper apologized that his sleep would be interrupted that night by a man in the next room who was extremely sick. All night, Judson heard groans and gasps for air. All night, Judson feared that the man next door was not prepared to die. And then he began to fear his own death. But as he's wrestling internally, he's sitting here thinking, this is meaningless. This is meaningless. Because as a deist, it, it's meaningless. Death is meaningless. What's after death is meaningless. But then he thought, hey, why am I struggling with this? He began worrying about his own eternal security. The next morning he woke up and on his way out, he asked the innkeeper how the man was doing. He's dead. Judson was cut to the heart. Judson asked, do you know who he was? The innkeeper replied, oh yes. A young man from the college in Providence. His name is Jacob Eames. Judson knew that this was not a coincidence. God was on his trail. He returned home. He enrolled at Andover Seminary, and on December the 2nd of 1808, he surrendered his life completely to Jesus Christ. Hear me, if your child is a prodigal, if your grandchild is walking away from the Lord, please know they can never outrun God. 
And so you pray and you pray and you pray and then you do what the father does in Luke 15 and you look out that front door and you watch. And when that child turns that corner and returns home, you run out, you hug and embrace and you celebrate. If you have someone in your life who is walking in foolishness, they can never get away from the all-reaching, powerful hand of God. Pray, seek the Lord, and when by the Lord's grace they come back, you go and love them well. Secondly, we can prepare our children and grandchildren to be sent. Two years before Adoniram's salvation, there were five college students who were gathered in a field to pray for world evangelization. A storm came upon them quickly and they ran for cover under a large haystack. This became known as the haystack prayer meeting. And from this gathering, God stirred within the hearts of thousands of people to take the gospel to the nations who have never heard. Well, two of those five college students at the Haystack prayer meeting went to Andover Seminary and they befriended Adoniram Judson. And on June 28, 1810, he presented himself to the church to be a missionary. That same day, he met Anne and fell in love. As the relationship flourished, Adoniram wrote a letter to Anne's father stating his intentions. And he asked for, her, for his permission to marry her. Here's what the letter said. Listen closely. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to, subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? Dads, single moms, how would you respond if the man dating your daughter said that? Anne's father said, it's your call. They were married 13 months later. Parents, do not hinder your child from taking the gospel to the nations. One of the most common hindrances of the Great Commission is parents and grandparents who stand in the way of their children and grandchildren from going to dangerous places and doing dangerous things for the sake of the gospel. Do not stand in the way. You will get to spend eternity with your children and grandchildren. You can forego spending time with them for the next 30 to 50 years for the sake of those who will trust the gospel. Thirdly, God does not waste suffering. Upon Adoniram and Anne's trip to India, 
I'm sorry, from India to Burma, and gave birth on the ship to a stillborn. She would later give birth to Roger, who died at eight months old. In 1824, the British invaded Burma. All Westerners were viewed as spies. At an anirum, he was imprisoned and his feet were chained together for 17 months. At night, to keep the prisoners from escaping, a bamboo pole was threaded through the prisoners' chains and their feet were hoisted up into the air, leaving their shoulders and their heads resting on the ground. Mosquitoes, bugs, and other vermin got into the prisoners' hair. Anne was pregnant. She walked two miles every day to bring him food and to beg for his relief. With his health and Anne's health and their newborn baby's health deteriorating, he wrote, it is possible my life will be spared. If so, with what zeal shall I pursue my work? If not, his will be done. The door will be open for others who will do the work better. And in 1826, Anne died at the age of 37. Three months later, Adoniram got word that his father had died. Three months later, his two-year-old daughter, Maria, died. Darkness settled in. Adoniram built a shelter out in tiger-infested jungles. He became a recluse. He dug his own grave, and he sat in front of it, staring at it, thinking about his own death. He began to question his faith. He began to question his calling. He began to question what the future would hold. He said of these days, there is a love that never fails. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. He was trusting in the sovereignty and in the goodness of God. He would go on to marry two more times. The first one was to Sarah Boardman in 1834. She was the widow of another missionary who had died years earlier. They were married for 11 years. She would bear eight children, three of whom would not reach adulthood. She got sick and the only treatment back in those days was a trip out to sea. So they made the trip back to the United States. When they made the turn around the tip of Africa, Sarah died. After spending some time in the U.S., he met Emily. He was 57, she was 29. They'd be married for four years until Adoniram died a very painful, difficult death. Much sickness, much suffering, much death accompanied Adoniram throughout his life in ministry. But God had his purposes in it all. Fourth and finally, plow the hard soil till harvest comes. Plow the hard soil till, till harvest comes. After a time in India, he went to Burma, which is modern day Miramar. He endured 108 degree heat with cholera, malaria, dysentery, which claimed the life of his wife, Anne, and then killed his second wife, Sarah, and claimed the lives of seven of his 13 children. The first person, Mao Now, they won to Christ after six years of preaching. Preaching. Six years of translating the Bible. Six years of passing out gospel tracts. It took six years to reach one person for Christ. The hearts of the people was a hard soil to plow. 
But then after 18 years of plowing, God brought the harvest. 1831, revival broke. Judson wrote, the spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere through the whole length and breadth of the land. We have distributed nearly 10,000 tracts, giving none but to those who ask. I presume there have been 6,000 applications at the house. Some come two or three months journey from the borders of Siam and China. Sir, we hear that there is an eternal hell. We are afraid of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others from the frontiers of Cathay, 100 miles north of Ava. Sir, we have seen a writing that tells us about an eternal God. Are you the man that gives away such writings? If so, pray give us one, for we want to know the truth before we die. Others from the interior of the country where the name of Jesus Christ is little known. Are you Jesus Christ's man? Give us a writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. For 18 years he labored and suffered until God brought the harvest. Hear me, if you are laboring, do not give up. God may bring fruit in the near future. As we labor within the American context in which God has placed us, it's harder and harder to reach people for Jesus. Do not give up. Let's keep plowing until God will bring the harvest but it may include having to suffer. The impact point is this, is that when suffering comes, rest. Rest in the sufficient grace of Jesus. Three times Paul asked the Lord, please, please, please take away my thorn in the flesh. And the Lord Jesus loved Paul so much to say no. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Paul and Adoniram Judson suffered, but Jesus' grace was sufficient. For 38 years, Adoniram Judson labored at translating the Bible into the Burmese language. For 38 years, he labored in translating the dictionary for future missionaries to use. Today, both of those resources are still being used. After 38 years of suffering and experiencing the death of children and the death of a spouse and having to suffer physically, today, there are more than 5,000 churches and more than 1 million believers in Myanmar who can trace their spiritual lineage back to Adoniram Judson. When he got there, there were no believers, none. And today, there is a harvest because he endured through suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he did it all for the sake of him who suffered and gladly went to the cross, whose through his suffering at the cross, he has brought forth much fruit. So as you think about your life and the suffering that God may ordain for you, See it as a divine order from God in which he loves you and wants to display his power through your weakness. 
He wants to display his glory through those who are desperate for him. And when we trust Jesus, the one who suffered for us, watch how God in his infinite wisdom and in his providential plan will bear much.